0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, You brought a Bible. I'm going to invite you to open it up to the book of Colossians. Uh, If you are a first-time guest with us, my name is Aaron, uh, lead pastor for Riverwood. And if you did not bring a Bible, don't worry about it. We will be putting the scripture on the screen because we want you to read right along with us. But I just want you to know at Riverwood, we really want you to have a Bible. So if you have a smartphone, feel free to download a Bible to that and feel free to use that Or if you want a paper Bible, you want to go old school like me, uh, we have some paper Bibles out on our resource table. We'd love to give one of those to you as a gift. And then that way you can use it on Sunday when you come back, but then you could also use it any day of the week. We just really believe that God has given us a mission to help people just like you to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. And there's no better way to get to know this Jesus than through the scriptures. So that's why we really want you to have a Bible. So again, download one to your phone or stop by our resource table and take one of the paper Bibles that are there. Uh, Last week, we kicked off this series in Colossians. We read through verse 8, which means we are ready for verse 9 this week. So if you would, silently read along as I read aloud, verses 9 through 14. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, Heavenly Father, as we prepare to study this, uh, these, the set of six verses today, we ask that you would ultimately be our teacher, that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our minds to what you need to say, what you want to say to us, each of us comes at this from a different place. We bring our own uh, uh, the biases, uh, our, our 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 own background, um, our own perceptions. So, God, I pray that you would do what only you can do. It, it is impossible to think that I, as one man, can somehow communicate this exactly as it needs to to everyone. And yet, you, God, you know each of us. You know our names. You know our stories. You know our fears. You know our futures. And so that is why I ask that you be our teacher so that this cuts through the fog of everything that's around us and everything that's in us and that you would penetrate and allow us to see you, to hear from you, and to hear your call to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So God, this next set of time, well, this whole morning is yours, but I just dedicate this next set of time to you for you to use it for your glory as well as for our growth and joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, the uh, spring after my family and I moved to our current house, I was meeting one of my neighbors for the first time. And so it surprised me a little bit when my neighbor said, so um, I hear that you're a pastor who's moved to Waverly to start a new church. It's taken aback a little bit, the power of a small town, uh, word had gone before me. So I had to, you know, say in the affirmative, yeah, that's, that's true. And then he looked at me and says, so how in the world do you even do that? Like, like what does that look like? I found out that my neighbor was Catholic, that that was all he'd ever known. He got married in the Catholic church. His three children were all baptized at St. Mary's here in town. Like that was his realm of church. So to have this new neighbor move to town to start a church, it just, it boggled his mind. He just couldn't wrap his mind around it. And so he couldn't help but ask me, what does that look like? But my neighbor's not alone. All of us have this sense that when we encounter an idea that we don't understand or we only have a very vague notion, we wonder, what does that look like? Uh, This is the idea behind a podcast video series that a guy by the name of Anthony Padilla has started. It's just called I Spent a Day With. I'd never heard of this podcast. Someone was telling me about it this week. And I I saw that he has topics on uh, uh, what's it like to have been a spy uh, what would it be like to have escaped from North Korea? What would it look like to have survived a kidnapping? What, what's it like to live with PTSD? It, you know, he spends the day with these people, asking them questions, just interviewing, learning what he can, no, wanting to know what's it like in your shoes. Now, before you all start pulling out your phones and Spotify and, like, oh, I could head to this podcast or go to YouTube, just going to warn you, it's very explicit. I saw a lot of ease next to it. Some of the subject matter, very edgy, would be rated mature. So don't start listening to this in the car, moms and dads, uh, unless you want to have a lot of questions. But the premise behind it is exactly what I'm talking about. He's basically trying to ask, so what is your life like? I think this is what the apostle Paul is trying to get across to his readers. If you remember, if you were with us last week, We learned that Paul wrote a number of letters to a number of churches, but most of them he planted, he started those churches. However, there were two churches he did not start that he wrote letters to, the book of Romans and the book of Colossians. The reason he didn't plant the church in Colossae is because it was a smaller town. It was not a strategic city. He went to Ephesus, which was about 100 miles west. He planted the church in Ephesus, and then we believe that there were certain guys, one by the name of Epaphras, who we met last week in verse 7, He traveled back home, probably, to Colossae with some other disciples, shared the gospel. Some people believed, and a church gets started. But then Epaphras makes his way to Rome, where Paul is in prison, shares this news, hey, this church has started in Colossae. Paul gets so excited, he wants to write them a letter. He wants them to know, hey, I heard about this. That's why in today's passage, we saw him start off with, man, I am thanking God for you, and I'm praying for you. But what we learned last week was he also wanted to make sure that they knew the gospel, And so he wants them to know, if you know the gospel, here is what your life should look like. Here's what it looks like, to use his word, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So if, well, I say some of you probably, you know, if you came to Christ later in life, you might remember what those days were like. And those days when you may have been asking yourself, what would it like to become a Christian? Maybe you're here with us online or you're in person, and you're wondering I'm not a Christian yet. What would it like to become a Christ follower? I remember years ago, sitting down at a booth at my favorite barbecue joint in Cedar Rapids, sitting across from Zach. And I was really excited because I knew what the number four special was going to be like. But Zach was a little nervous. Not because of the food, but because of the questions rattling around in his head. Zach was not a Christian. I think I was about the only pastor he knew, so he invited me out to lunch Because something was going on inside him. Something was wooing him, drawing him. He wanted to know what would it look like if I gave my life to Christ. And so if you're like Zach, this is the perfect passage for you to hear. This is going to give you a glimpse of what it would be like, what life might look like if you begin to follow Jesus. For those of you who are followers of Christ, today might be some good reminders. It might show you what God wants to do in you and what he wants to do through you. It might remind you some things that maybe started early in your life following Jesus, but maybe because just things have happened, you've kind of gotten away from. I think today could be a very encouraging message for a lot of you. So with that, we're going to dive in. What we're going to see is that Paul begins to explain five different descriptions of what it looks like to f- walk with Jesus. And if you're a fill-in-the-blank type of person, um, I actually got my notes to Minette before she printed, so they're actually in there this week. So if you want to fill in the blanks, you can fill in our five descriptors. are being filled, increasing, bearing fruit, being strengthened, and giving thanks. Those are going to be our five. But before we work through each of those alone we've got to go and talk about something else first. You see, he uses this phrase, walk. Well, in order for us to walk, we have to have some sort of ground upon which to walk. I don't think anti-gravity boots have been invented yet. So what is it that Paul says we are to walk upon? Well, we actually heard it last week. As we dove into Colossians, we saw that he's calling us to build this foundation, to be grounded, or to use the term that we're using in the series, to be centered upon Christ. But because this theme is so important to Paul, he didn't just talk about it in last week's section, he gets right back to it this week. It's right there in verses 13 and 14. He, referring to God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins because Paul wants to make sure that these people really truly know the gospel he can't help but keep coming back to it so even though he talked about what we saw last week a few verses ago he's already right back at it here now the five descriptors that we're going to look at this morning they're all verbs but what we're going to see is that these verbs like there's two people involved. We're gonna see that there's a role that any Jesus follower has in, in performing these actions, but that God is also going to be involved in it. However, in verses 13 and 14, there are two verbs, but mankind has no role in it. It's all God. Look at the first verb. The first verb there in 13 is delivered. When the gospel came to the people in Colossae, it was brought by Epaphras, But did Epaphras save the people? Well, no. Did the people themselves save themselves? No. It was only God who delivered them. If you're using a different translation, I'm using the English Standard Version today, you might have a translation that uses the word rescued. Who did the rescuing? Who did the delivering? God. That's important to note Because sometimes we believe in order for this relationship with God to start, it starts with me cleaning up my act. It starts with me stop cussing. It starts with me maybe beginning to read the Bible. It starts with me maybe going to church or going to a Bible study. And what Paul wants them to realize is your relationship with God did not start with you. It started with God. He did the work. He delivered you. He rescued you. And what did he rescue us from? He said, he rescued us from the domain of darkness. In a lot of ancient literature and in other religions, there's this idea, this concept that darkness is bad and evil and light is good. That's why in old westerns, the bad cowboy, the bad guy had a black cowboy hat and the good guy had the white cowboy hat. Never mind the black's my favorite color. But maybe, maybe you're like me. You kind of actually like nighttime. You kind of like when the sun's setting and the stars start coming out, there's something peaceful about it. That's not what Paul's getting at. If you've ever walked through a dark room barefoot and stepped on a Lego, you know that light is good. It would have spared you the pain shooting up your leg and kept you from saying those certain words upon your lips. Light is good. He delivered us, he rescued us from the domain of darkness And he's done something else. This gets to our second verb. He has transferred us. Like a college athlete who's gone from one college to another college, he's transferred us from that domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. So that's the light, the kingdom of Jesus, which makes sense. Jesus in John chapter 9 describes himself as the light of the world. Well, if he's the light then he is the king of the kingdom of light. And in his light is his love, his grace, his goodness, his power, his presence. And he transferred us into that. But if you're honest with yourself, you may realize that the light has to be perfect because God is perfect and I am imperfect. And if you even let the smallest smidge of imperfectness into perfect, it's, it's no longer perfect. You've heard the, the phrase, if you ever find the perfect church, don't join it, because it'll no longer be perfect. It's the same idea. God is perfect. And if us as imperfect humans try to come into the presence of God, it's no longer perfect. That's why Paul doesn't stop writing here. There's not a period. He keeps going. He says that it is we've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. Because it's in Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Just like when you go to the grocery store and you give a coupon. Well, does anyone actually use coupons anymore? You guys know what a coupon is, right? Okay, okay, I'm just, just making sure. Just like when you give a coupon and you get a discount, Jesus gave his life. But not to get a discount on you, but to fully purchase you. You see, the penalty of our sin was death. But Jesus went and paid it for us, gave his life so that our debt was erased, and we're now free. We're we're, we're out of it. We have the forgiveness of our sins. And if our sins have been forgiven, we've been washed away of them. And therefore, now in the eyes of God, we're perfect. Now, it doesn't mean that we now do everything right and we never will sin again. But in the eyes of God, because of the work of Christ, it's like we're perfect and we can come into his presence because we've been transferred into the kingdom of his son. We've been delivered out of the domain of darkness and of sin. And I want you to notice, those words, those verbs, they're past tense. Now, at our July 10th uh, baptism service, uh, Zach Summerlot from Cornerstone Church did a brilliant job of explaining how this concept of salvation is elastic. That as you study the scriptures, you see that we have been saved We are being saved, and we will one day be saved. I think it's the same here. That, yes, we are currently being delivered. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are being delivered. You are being transferred. One day, when you breathe your last, you will go into the kingdom of the beloved Son fully. But what we have to remember is it's also already done in the eyes of God. You have been delivered. You have been transferred You do not have to do something in order to continue to earn it because God's already done it. And that should encourage you and, in a sense, help you to rest because, in the eyes of God, you're his child. He would never disown you. He has delivered you and transferred you into the kingdom of his son, making you now his son and his daughter. He's not going to give you back. He wants to keep you forever. And so what we see in walking with Jesus is not about trying to somehow impress God. We have to do this out of duty. We gotta like earn something. No, we're doing these five descriptors because this is who we are. We've been delivered. We've been transferred. And so because we're now the son and daughter of God, this is how we now live. This is how we now walk. So let's go to the five descriptors. Our first descriptor is being filled. We see this one up there in verse 9. You see that he gets back to this idea that once he's heard about them, we've not ceased to stop praying for you. We're asking that you may be filled. But he doesn't want them to be full of themselves. He doesn't want them to be full from an epic church potluck. He wants them to be filled with knowledge. Last week, we talked about how even though Colossae was not a, a strategic city, it, it, was, it had a reputation. It, it was known for kind of being religiously crazy. Uh, there were cults there, other philosophies and things going on, so much so that the, the Jews in that area were kind of looked down upon by other area Jews because they were seen as being liberal, having given in to some of the philosophies and cults of the, the times. And, and so I think Paul wants to protect them, and so he knows they need some knowledge they're gonna need the knowledge of the gospel so that when a false gospel or some other crazy idea comes in, they don't buy into it and just start running with it. They can see it for what it is. But he doesn't want them to just have knowledge for knowledge's sake. Paul knows that just having knowledge can be dangerous. That's why in 1 Corinthians 8:1, Paul writes to the church in Corinth that knowledge puffs up. When you just soak in knowledge... You can start getting puffed up in your ego, in your sense of your self-importance, of your superiority over others. Paul knows that if you just gain a bunch of Bible knowledge, that it just makes you a jerk. It's not accomplishing what God wants. He wants you living like Jesus lived and loving like Jesus loved. This knowledge is to do something down in us. We're going to get to that a little bit more here in a bit. But notice, it's not just knowledge for knowledge's sake. Instead, he says, it is the knowledge of his will. In other words, it's the knowledge of God's will, what God desires, what God wants, where God seems to be working to understand that. And and when you understand it, it is in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I I don't know about you, but I I really would like to have spiritual wisdom. I'd like to have understanding. When I sit one-on-one with someone and they start opening up, I want to have wisdom in what to say, what not to say. I, I want to have spiritual wisdom, to know where to take them in the scriptures, to encourage them, to, to challenge them. I, I, I want this spiritual wisdom. I want this understanding. And it comes from a knowledge of his will. So the first, what does it look like to walk with Jesus? And it looks like being filled The second one we're gonna look at is closely tied to this. It's down there in verse 10. If you're paying attention, you'll see the bearing fruit. We're gonna skip that one and come to it. Go to the next verb, increasing. The reason I'm jumping over to increasing is because notice it says that we are to be increasing in the knowledge of God. So in other words, it's not just to be filled with the knowledge of God. It's also to be increasing. Kind of like when you start filling a water balloon, you know, the balloon's like this big. Well, you can fill it, that you can continue to fill it. It can continue to increase. That is what God wants. He wants this knowledge to increase in you. Uh, many years ago, I uh, had the chance to sit down with Tony. Uh, Tony was a pastor that I'd met online. We'd interacted online for probably a couple of years. And then for the first time, I was getting to sit down with him in person. So there we are in a Barnes & Noble uh, in their cafe. And, and Tony looks at me and says, Aaron, how long have you and Leanne been married? And at that time, we'd been married nine years. In my mind, we're no longer baby marrieds. Like, we're old marrieds. Like, we're at almost a decade. So I proudly said, nine years. And Tony looks at me and goes, you barely even know her yet. Now I was offended. And this is my best friend he's talking about. And he's saying, I don't know her? Like, what is up with him? Now that I've been married for over 24 years, I look back and realize, oh, yeah, nine years is baby marrieds. I barely knew her. I know her so much better now. I know even more of what she likes, what she doesn't, the things that get her excited, the things she tries to stay away from. I, I know her so much better. But you know where so much of that, that experience came, that, sorry, that knowledge came from? Experience. I didn't sit down with the, the book of Leanne and read through it and try to memorize it so I could do better on the exam. No, it's just time with her. There's time with God in the Word, but there's also time with God in gathering with other believers. There's time getting into a a small group, just sitting one-on-one with someone and and being encouraged by them. There's time just in worship, time in prayer. You start spending that time, you're going to be increasing in the knowledge of God. But again, this is not just a textbook type of knowledge. And the reason we know that it's not just the textbook type of knowledge is because of the describer that came just before it, also there in verse 10, the one we skipped over. Paul tells us that it looks like following Jesus, walking with him, it looks like bearing fruit in every good work. Uh, Back at uh, Easter of 2020, uh, when the state of Iowa would not allow us to meet together, we were trying to figure out what to do for Easter. Uh, Back in November, I had come up with this creative idea for my sermon. And so when we were not allowed to meet, I was like really, really bummed. Like, ah, I had this great sermon. Now I can't do it. So like, do I just have to wait another year? And then I started thinking, well, wait, what if we get really creative? What if we shoot this as a short film? So I invited Caden Badura to go out to Jake's family farm and we shot this film. Some of you remember watching our little short film, The Four Chairs. That short film sermon was a sermon about Mark chapter 4. In Mark 4, Jesus tells a parable about four different types of soil. He says a farmer goes out to sow his seed, but some of the seed falls on this hard path. It's so hard, it's packed, that the seed can't get down in it and no roots can grow. Other seed falls upon the soil that, yeah, it can get down into it, but it's so full of rocks that the roots just can't really grow other seed falls into this soil where yeah it gets roots it grows up but yet there's these thorns these weeds that kind of choke it out and then the fourth soil is so good that the 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 seed goes in the roots go deep plants grow forth and you see reproduction 30 40 i mean 30 60 or 100 fold well jesus then later tells the disciples that the seed is the gospel God wants this gospel message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to get into your life and doesn't want to see it blocked out by a hard heart. He doesn't want to see it getting choked out by the rocks. He doesn't want to see it stopped because of a busy schedule. He wants to see his gospel, his love, his grace get into your life, take root and something beautiful to grow. He wants you bearing fruit. And notice, it's bearing fruit in every good work. It's not just, well, I'll bear fruit on Sundays. I'll I'll bear fruit between, you know, 6 p.m. and 8 p.m. when I volunteer at this place. No, it's bearing fruit in every good work. So it's bearing fruit at work, at school, at home, in the neighborhood, no matter who you're with, bearing fruit in every good work. But if you're like me, you're thinking like, oh, man, I don't think I can be that on all the time. Like, that sounds exhausting. That's why Paul gives another descriptor. His fourth descriptor is down there in verse 11. And it is being strengthened with all power. It's being strengthened. Uh, this being strengthened, though, is not this idea of becoming like Samson in the Old Testament. Right? Following Jesus, is not the goal is not to make you buff like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right? We're talking a different type of strengthening. Uh, Robert Gundry in his commentary on the New Testament says that this could be translated empowered with all power. I I like that. This this idea that we are being empowered by God's spirit with his power to be able to go and bear fruit in every good work, to go and increase in knowledge, to go and be filled, that, that that his power is coming into us and empowering us to do what he calls us to. And he says that it is to do this with all, uh, let me find it here, uh, for all endurance and patience. I don't know if you've noticed, life is hard. Sometimes, following Jesus is even harder. I'm just going to give you, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I'm just going to tell you. You're probably going to hear some Christian tell you, give your life to Jesus and everything will be better. I'm going to tell you the truth. Give your life to Jesus. But don't expect everything to get better. Because sometimes it's just easier to go with the crowd. Sometimes it's just easier to give in. Sometimes it's just easier to believe what everyone else around you believes. Culture just keeps saying all these things and man, it just sometimes it's just so much easier to just go, you know what? That sounds good. It doesn't matter that it conflicts with what I learned from here. It's just easier. And yet, well, think, think about the uh, uh, Colossians. One of the big things raging around in their day was circumcision. There were some Jews that had believed Jesus was the Messiah, but they still held on to a lot of the old forms. And so they thought, you need to be circumcised. In, in other words, you have to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. And, and we see in some of Paul's writing, like, no. Your salvation does not come through the cutting of skin. Salvation comes through Jesus. It's the, it's the cutting of your heart. It's the conviction of your sin. It's through Christ. That's where your salvation is found. But that was the big debate raging all around. And some people, it was just easier to go with, Just give in. I'll just be honest. I don't think I've ever had that debate with anyone. It's not a deal now. It's faded. Now... Christians in these days are arguing about a lot of other things, but that's not one of them. And yet, the gospel that Paul taught the Colossians is still with us today. So in other words, endure the gospel. Be patient. A lot of the things that are going on around us, the screaming, the yelling, if you don't believe this, it will fade. So don't give in. Don't fall for it. That's what Paul didn't want for them. He didn't want them to just give in to the philosophies and the other religions and the ideas floating around. Stick with Jesus. Stick with the life, death, and resurrection of this Messiah. Allow him to transfer you into his kingdom, and you just live out that identity. And the things happen around you, they will fade. You endure. Be patient. Now, that might sound a little bit exhausting, That's why he tacks on one more little phrase, two words. It is with all endurance and patience, with joy. Nehemiah 8.1 tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So if you're struggling to find joy, run to the Lord. His joy will give you strength. Just to be open and honest, there have been some days these last few years that it's been hard to find joy. I don't know if it's because of the political climate, the cultural climate. I don't know if it's just the weight of trying to faithfully lead a church. Maybe it's, you know, some of the things that are happening, you know, in just personal life. Maybe it's all of it. But there have been days where it's hard to have joy. And what I've discovered is when I take the time to sit down and get into God's Word, start reading it, it's like a balm upon my soul it's like the joy starting to bubble back up. When I just allow myself to to worship God through a song, I find the joy creeping back in. When I just begin to pray for you guys, for these issues, I find myself being strengthened. I find myself enduring, wanting to continue to lead, to continue to love, being patient with people. I find the joy returning. And so, do you want to endure? Do you want to be strengthened? run to God, go to the gospel, and let this reminder help you have that joy, because then the joy of the Lord will be your strength. And because of that joy, it leads to our last descriptor. What does it look like to to walk with Jesus? It looks like in verse 12, giving thanks. Giving thanks. Uh, When I moved to Cedar Rapids to become the young adult pastor at a Bible church, My direct supervisor was a pastor by the name of Kim. Kim uh, sort of became our executive pastor at the church. He had been there long before I got there, and he was there after I was there. He ended up retiring from that church. But before he came to the the church in Cedar Rapids, he led a a, a ministry out in Syracuse, New York, a rescue mission. Uh, It was one of the largest rescue missions in the entire U.S. um, back in the 80s. They crossed over a million dollars in their budget, and so it, it made them one of the largest in the U.S., they primarily served men, and they took a very holistic approach. They, they sought to help uh, men uh, get out of homelessness, so find a place to live, uh, helping them find a job, um, helping them uh, get off, you know, drugs and alcohol, uh, helping them reconnect with family. That's so often what happened to these guys is broken relationships and in the pain of that, they, they run to these other things. Um, and then, because they were a Christ-based uh, 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 ministry, seeking to help these guys understand who Jesus is. Well, Kim said after serving there for a few years, he began to be able to predict which of the men coming through their their rescue mission would end up back there or maybe end up in jail and which ones would actually succeed, stay in a job, stay in the relationships, not return to to their addictions. And he said the thing that allowed him to be able to predict it was gratitude. He said the guys that showed thankfulness for the programs, for the help, for the assistance, those were the guys who kept the job, kept the house, kept the relationships, didn't return to their addiction. But the guys that were a little bit hard-hearted, that just were going through the motions, that just you know, kind of participated through the rescue missions programs, but they didn't have that attitude of gratitude, they were the ones who didn't keep the job, who returned to their addictions and ended up back at the rescue mission. There is power in gratitude Having a thankful heart does something. But you cannot just wake up tomorrow morning and go, well, that's it. I'm just going to have an attitude of gratitude. I'm just going to live thankfully today. Well, that's great. That's awesome. But you realize to have thanks, there has to be something or someone for which you are thankful. If you're going to be giving thanks to the Father, you need to know why am I giving thanks to the Father. And Paul tells us, the very next phrase there, is that this Father... Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light? Your sin makes you unqualified to come into the presence of God. But because of God's work through the cross and the empty grave, He now qualifies you. He makes it so that you are accepted, you can come in, you get to share in the inheritance of the saints. And as we mentioned last week, a saint in, 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 to Paul is not, you know, some Catholic saint being venerated or, or someone who's lived holier than thou. A saint is anyone who's put their faith in Jesus. So if you have put your faith in Christ, you are a saint. If you're investigating Christianity, when you put your life in Christ, you become a saint. Because God has washed you of your sin in his eyes. You're his son, you're his daughter, you are a saint. And you get to inherit what all saints inherit. You get to inherit eternal life. You get to inherit God's presence, his goodness, his character. But do you guys notice, do you realize, that when you live with this kind of gratitude for the gospel, day in and day out, when this is what you treasure, Do you realize what begins to happen to you? You begin to want to be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. You desire to be bearing fruit in every good work. You want to be increasing in the knowledge of God. You long to be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And you can't help but bubble up in giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light because He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that You would help each and every one of us to come into that kingdom of Your Son. Lord, for the person who has never surrendered themselves, laid their life down to you, I pray that they would be like my friend Zach, who just a few days after that lunch meeting at a barbecue joint, gave his life to you. And it has been a joy to see the difference that has made in him and in the people around him. God, would you write that story today? That someone here would give their life to you, that they would allow you to deliver them from the domain of darkness, to deliver them out of their sin, and transfer them into the kingdom of your son, into your light, into your grace, into your forgiveness, that they would realize that because of Jesus' work on the cross, they can have the redemption. They can have the forgiveness of their sins. They can become your son, your daughter. Let today become their spiritual birthday. And then, God, would you lead them to walk with you As, as they begin this journey. May you fill them with the knowledge of your will so that they would have spiritual wisdom that they would have understanding. Lord, would would you help them to increase in this knowledge? Would you allow them to go and begin to bear fruit, being a blessing to everyone they interact with? And then, God, would you make them strong and still within them the strength of your Holy Spirit, that your joy would just uh, be bursting forth from them? Father, I don't just pray this for the person who today has their spiritual birthday. I pray for this for every single person that has already put their faith in you. That this work that you do in brand new believers is the work you continue to do in those who've even known you for years and years and years. Because God, you are never done filling us. There's always ways that we can increase. There is still more fruit to be be given. We need to be strengthened. God, if we're honest, we are not always living thankful hearts. And that is why we continue to seek you, asking for you to transform us into that image of your son. So Father, thank you for these words from Paul. Thank you how you can use them to continue to carve and shape and mold us into that image of Jesus. May you just help us continue to surrender so that you might do these things in us and to help us to walk in a manner worthy of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.